myself again But it's the only way you're ever gonna learn your love back And it's all in the past Hi, welcome to NUFC Mac with me, Steve Reed. This is a pre-recorded show with myself, Super Mac, and Gibbo, and uh, John and Malcolm are going to take us down memory lane again because we are going to look back at Malcolm's England year. So uh, without further ado, I will leave it to you two chaps. Yes, Malcolm, welcome, welcome, my friend. Uh, England career, facts and figures first, 14 appearances, six goals, which is quite a ratio, uh, between 1972 and 1975. And I'm delighted we can claim all the England Cups because they all come with Newcastle United, Malcolm. Mm. Uh, there was many, many more times, apart from your 14 Caps, that you actually were in the England squad uh, regularly during that time. Um, before we get on to that, I was just wondering what your introduction to international football was going right back to the, the start of your pro career, my friend. Well, I was a Luton player at the time. I, I, I was about 19 and I was I was scoring a lot of goals at the time, but I, I was out shopping in a, in a precinct in Luton with my wife. And, um, and all of a sudden, as we were sort of slowly walking through, meandering almost, Oh, a, a huge, great, heavy hand came came thumping down onto my shoulder and grabbed me. And I looked around and it was a policeman. And I thought, oh, for heaven's sake, have I forgotten to pay for something in a shop and I've walked out with it? No, surely not. And I'm sort I of looking... I could see the headlines, Malcolm. I could Sorry. see the headlines. I could see well, the headlines in the paper. And I'm... I've got so nervous, and 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 he, he said uh, he said you wanted, and I, and I went what? Yeah. I, I can't be. He says yeah, your club wants you straight away. He said uh, they need they need you there in in the offices, so get yourself up there. Uh, and so I rushed up to, uh, to to Luton, which isn't far from the town centre. Um, the club and um, and I got there and and they said we've had a, a call from Alf Ramsey he wants you to join the under 23 squad in Scotland so I, I busily got myself all ready packed a bag for the three or four nights and uh, whizzed up to Scotland and um, and that was my introduction to international football and of course um it, it gives you that chance to just sit and have dinner and relax and uh, um, uh, play a game of cards or something. But you're talking with professionals of other clubs yeah. and, it, and it just expands your, your football knowledge and thinking. Um, and I found it absolutely wonderfully oh, exciting and thrilling. Um, I didn't get on. Um, I, I was a sub. But I, but I didn't get on that game. But nevertheless, just being able to talk with, with the great yeah. youngsters of the time playing for other clubs. It's an education it in itself. It broadens everything, John. It was wonderful. An education in itself. If we, yes. before we go into details of matches, fast forward, I think, to the 
the England goals because that was always your lifeblood of your whole career, Malcolm, was was scoring goals. Mm -hmm. And both the matches I'm thinking of were very, very significant for different reasons. The first time you, you, you broke your international duck was against West Germany. I mean, heavy, heavyweights, world champions, I believe, at the time. Uh, England won 2-0 and you notched, Malcolm. Yeah, um, it was actually their first game as world champions. Yeah. And, um, uh, uh, and Don Revy was then the manager. And he had, he had had three games so, uh, in, at the beginning of his um, England career and had ignored me. I've been left out. And I was, and England was struggling for goals, and I was called up by uh, by England, and and so I, I went to the hotel in um, Hertfordshire on the on the uh, Sunday, and asked the reception where I might find um, Revy. Uh, and just to report in and let him know that I had no injuries. So she said, oh, down the corridor, there's a lounge at the end. And he, and he had this big entourage with him, loads of people all around him. And there he was, sort of centre figure. And I walked in and waited for a bit of silence. And I said, Malcolm McDonald, uh, uh, reporting, I said, uh, no injuries at all from the game yesterday. And he said, I don't want you here. Welcome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, um, there was none of that. He said, "I don't want you here. I feel you've been foisted upon me by the uh, press, and uh, and so if you don't score on Wednesday night, I'll never pick you again." And uh, that was my start with Don Revy. Um, and this pressure. was something so opposite to what I'd known with Alf Ramsey, um, and. Uh, and I've always tried to look on the bright side of life, whatever happens. And and so I thought about what had just happened. I thought, well, what a really unpleasant entry into the England squad under this new manager. Um, uh, uh, and, you know, you, try, you sort of scratch your head trying to think, well, why, why is he why is he being unpleasant to you? And all I could think was that I always scored important goals against Leeds. And so maybe he had a downer on me for that. But um, uh, so anyway, I thought, well, at least I know I'm playing. Because usually you don't get told the side until maybe Tuesday at the very earliest. Yeah. But yeah. often on the Wednesday morning. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and so I thought, right, I can get myself really physically prepared, mentally prepared. I know I'm playing from the Sunday through to the Wednesday. And so I just worked on what I needed to really work on in all the training sessions and what have you. And, um, and out we went, um, on the, uh, Wednesday evening. Just to recall, Malcolm, they were world champions. That was a great, great side. The West oh, yes. Yeah. Like and, and, and we actually played against the side 
that had won the World Cup in the, in their previous match. Um, and so uh, we were we were playing the whole shebang. Yeah. From yeah. West Germany. And uh, um, midway through the first half, Colin Bell put us one up uh, with a shot from about, or oh, it was about 12, 14 yards. Northeast and, uh, boy. Sorry? Northeast boy, Malcolm. Colin Bell. Yes, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, he was. Um, and... Uh, and we were really playing some stuff. It was a, it was a real joy to be playing in. Um, and when we were stretching the Germans, there wasn't a lot of pace in their side, and and I was making them very uncomfortable. Um, and in the second half, uh, um, I was actually rugby tackled by Beckenbauer. <laughs> it was, I was good. Mr. Yeah. Elegance. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, and then we were um, we were getting into the last sort of quarter of an hour, and Mick Shannon was fouled um, on on the sort of inside right position near the um, the point of, of the penalty area, uh, and and as he was getting up, Alan Ball went around went around him wide and, and, and Mick Shannon just nudged the ball with his knee into the path of Borley. Um, and uh, and Borley, he just sent a, a cross um, right over to the far post. It evaded the goalkeeper, Set Meyer, and, and it, it, it went over Beckenbauer. And I was there on the far post and I nodded it in. Um, uh, and and so oh that that was it that sealed the game really mm. with about sort of fifteen minutes to go um, and well we got into the dressing room afterwards and really we had totally outplayed the world champions we had been so on top and it it had been a joy to play in that side and. Um, and Don Revy came into the dressing room and he went over to the far side from where I was and he, he shook hands with Peter Short and he said, uh, well played, Peter. Well played to Colin Todd. Uh, well played to David Nish. Uh, well played to the four, the five, the six, the seven. And then he got, uh, then he shook hands with Mick Shannon, who was just to my right, walked straight past me, totally ignoring me shook hands with the 10 and the 11 and disappeared out the door. And I saw Alan Ball looking. I said, I'll tell you about it um, when, when we're changed. Um, and so I, t I told Borley what was, what was going on um, that, uh, that he had said when I first arrived, that if I didn't score, he'd never play me again. So I said, that goal, I said, it sort of, buying me my England career for the moment. I said, but no doubt, that's the state I, I, that I play in. I have to score every game. Otherwise, I'm I'm, I'm gone. Never picked again. Um, Paulie said, uh, he said, well, you leave that one with me. The next game, of course, John, 
yeah. was the Cyprus game. Cyprus, yeah. And, and, and the German game had come, I think, in the October of 74. And the Cyprus game was April 75. That's so right. there had been this, uh, this long lull between these two games. And it was an um, important game, Malcolm, wasn't it? Because it was a European Championship qualifier. So yes, it was. Competitive yes, game. it was an absolute must-win game. And, yeah. of course, um, Cyprus was in turmoil at the time. The two factions there on the island, the Turks and the Greeks, yeah. they were literally at war, tanks and everything um, going on there. And... And so it was. It it, it was a, a um, it, it it was it was a real sort of difficult time for for the Cypriots. Very difficult indeed, um, you know. And, and of course, we're going through um, similar times now, um, also in Europe, um, and and so. <laughs> We were we were a, a, a approaching the game. I, I, I was selected, you know. The letter comes through, and yeah. uh, and on all the gubbins that comes with it. And so I reported down on the Sunday evening, and um, and I, I and I said to Revy, I said Malcolm had got all reporting. I said uh, no injuries from the game yesterday, and he said the same still applies. If you don't score, I'll never pick you again. And so that night I had dinner with Alan Ball. Uh, and Mitch Shannon, and um, and I, I just and Bully said, uh, "Well, what was what was he like when you first came in?" And I and I told him, um, Bully, oh, he, he was getting really uh, quite upset about it. He, he didn't like anything like that going on whatsoever, and um, and so he said, "Right," he said, uh, "You leave it with me." And uh, so at least I knew I was going to be playing. I was able to work, work myself in training and what have you to get myself absolutely prepared. And, and out we went. Um, and, and well, actually, we had a team meeting before getting on the bus to go to Wembley. And... At the end of that, and oh, I must tell you, uh, because it, it was, it, Revy was known for his dossiers, if you uh, remember. Yeah. 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 And, um, and so we've been given this dossier and there was this huge description of each player, how he played, what it, it was all made up, John. There were names on there that didn't exist. And so we were told to read this over and over again. And there wasn't. And by the time we got to Wembley and, and we put the dossier with the program, the actual team sheet, yeah. there wasn't one name the same on either. Um, and, and it was all completely made up. I popped it in my bag. I thought I'm going to investigate this and just see if any of these players actually do exist. Yeah. And and of course I, I discovered later they didn't. The whole thing was made up. It was Incredible. absolute nonsense. Incredible. Anyway. 
Such so, a different approach, Malcolm. Such a different approach to Joe Harvey, who was your club manager, who was a great believer that if we got it right, i.e. Newcastle United, let them worry about us. Yes. Rather than us be terrified. I mean, that dossier, if you believed it, and even if it had been with the right players, you could have been scared to death that you were playing Superman. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Cyprus were made out in this dossier to be this wonderful side, who, who uh, uh, an absolutely great side, who, when you looked at the facts and figures, couldn't win a game. Yes. <laughs> you know, the whole thing was nonsense. Yes. Um, uh, and... Anyway, we had this team meeting and we would then we were given uh, 20 minutes to go and get our bags um, and get onto the bus to go off to Wembley. And Borley said, Mal, over here, as we were all leaving the room. And he signaled to Alan Hudson and then to Mick Shannon. And so and so there we were, this little group of four and Borley told the other two players what had happened to me with Revy about the fact I had to score and the way that he was treating me. And, and they were both absolutely staggered. Um, and, uh, and so Borley said, now listen very carefully. He said, this is what's going to happen. He said, um, he said, uh, I've got a question for you first. He said, do you know what the goal scoring record is for England? And we all went, uh, no, we don't actually. He said, well, he said in 1938, Willie Hall scored five goals over at Windsor Park in Belfast. Northern Ireland. Yeah, Belfast, yeah. He yeah. said, now, he said, tonight, this man pointing to me, He's going to score six and break that record. He said, and the three of us, we're going to make them for him. What do you say? And they all went, yeah, we're up for it. We're up for it. And I thought, wow, I've got these three wonderful and great players. Quality. And they are oh, just determined to make goals for me. And I thought, right, oh, this is wonderful. And it really did lift me. And so out we go onto the pitch and, 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 and after about 17 minutes, we got a, a corner on the left wing and Alan Hudson went and to get it, to, to swing it right into the edge of the six yard box. And, and Dave Watson, the centre half, who was then with Man City, um, having left Sunderland, um, uh, he, was, he was on his way. But I was a little bit quicker and I pushed him. I pushed him out the way, got my head to it, and in it went. So that made it 1-0. Thank you very much. Um, and uh, Borley, he came running up to me. He said, that's your first. Five more to go. And so right back we go into our half. The game restarts. And uh, Kevin Keegan did a little bit of magic down on the left-hand side um, and, and, and pulled it back. And, uh, and I volleyed it into the far corner. And, uh, that, and so um, I was congratulating Kevin 
uh, and thanking him for the uh, for the great cross that he sent over. And um, and Bully came running over, and he said, "That's two, four more to go." And, you know, Kevin Keegan looked as it because he didn't know what was going on. What? You <laughs> hadn't been part of it, no. <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, half time came and went, and we were out for the second half. And um, and Mick Shannon, um, he did a a, um, a lovely little run along the uh, along the dead ball line, and um, and he knocked it. Certain Malcolm didn't freeze like that when the and, ball came in. So, um, uh, in that went, and uh, and and the players were congratulating me. And Bawley came running across, and he said, "That's your first hat trick. Now you get your second hat trick." And <laughs> off we went back into our half. We restarted, um, and there was a substitution made. And Dave Thomas came on, who who's a County Durham lad. Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. playing for, playing for QPR at the time, uh, and a terrific crosser of the ball, and uh, and so uh, Borley knew what a good crosser he was, and he sort of positioned himself inside right, and and as he was getting the ball, he was then feeding um, Dave and. Uh, and he's not, he's not this wonderful crossing. And I've got right up just above the big tall centre half and powered it into the far top corner. Uh, and that's, and then and ball has come running across and he's gone, that's four. He said, you've only got two more to go now. Um, and, 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 and uh, another cross came in from Dave Thomas and I, and I got to that one. Uh, just before the goalkeeper, and in it went. That made it five. And Ball, he's, he's come over. He said, "You've equaled the record. Come on, one more, and you break it." As it so happens, um, I did score another, but it was disallowed for somebody else being offside. Uh, and and I hit the post as well. It didn't half hurt. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, um, and so. Uh, the final whistle went, and I was shaking hands with the with the boys in blue shirts, um, and just sort of reflecting on the game and 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 how it had gone, and uh, and I and con I congratulated Borley because he'd been so instrumental in putting people in to get the right crosses in, um, and. Mick Shannon had worked so hard around me. Alan Hudson had been fantastic that night. And but I, I, we were all at the far end to the tunnel, and I had looked up, and above the tunnel was the only scoreboard That's right. um, in the country, other than Coventry, I think, at the time. And it wasn't a very big one. No, um, it just sort of kept the score. It had England, Cyprus, um, and then. The, the score underneath and it went blank and I carried on shaking hands and then all of a sudden it relit uh -huh. 
And this time it said, congratulations, Supermac 5, Cypress Nil. And I just stood and I looked and I thought, wow. All in that one little caption, that's all my boyhood dreams come true. And I just reflected uh, and I had, I had always dreamt of, of, of being at Wembley, scoring a goal. Uh, and, and here it was, it had really happened. Um, uh, and, and it happened multiple times on the night. And so we've got ourselves into the dressing room. Revy has come in and he's gone over to Peter Shilton and he shook hands with Peter. Well played, Peter. Uh, um, and then he's gone to, to uh, Colin Todd. Well played, Colin. Well played, David, to David Nish. And to the four, five, six, seven. He got to Mick Shannon next to me, shook hands with him and said, well played walked past me, never said a word, never shook my hand again, shook hands with the 10 and then the 11 and walked out the door. And Alan Ball said, I saw that. No, he didn't. He said, I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> and he realised then just how how bad the situation was between the Revy and The amazing Michelle. thing, Malcolm, the amazing thing, having set that record as you had, is that as things turned out, you never played for England at Wembley again, did you? No, that was my last Wembley game. It's, it's a great played, way of going out, but crazy. Yeah, I played the next game, which was Cyprus away, and we won 1-0. I think Kevin Keegan scored that. Yeah. Um, it was... It was a very difficult time. We there were armed guards everywhere, mm. and as soon as um, they they before the match started, they literally covered us all the way up to to the centre circle. Mm. Um, and then um, as soon as the half-time whistle blew, all these armed soldiers came running on and escorted us off the pitch. Yeah. You know, it, yeah, um, I mean, yeah it's. Uh, the two it things gives that you the wobbles, does that? The two things that struck me about that fabulous, unique night at Wembley. Uh, the first one is that you were an abject failure because you only got five instead of six. Uh, that, that was the first thing I thought of. Second thing, <laughs> I was <laughs> second thing, I was upstairs in the in the um press box at Wembley that which night. was really high up, wasn't oh, it? it right was, up. Like it was sort of on the inside was. of the roof. Yeah, the St. James's was the same, Malcolm, in those yes. days. And, um, I mean, the St. James's one was incredible. I know they didn't like the press, but we used to be right up on the roof and there was a fire escape from the press box, but it only led down onto the roof of the stand beneath, mm -hmm. which was wooden. So if there was a fire and you went down the fire escape, you were sitting like Guy Fawkes on top of the bonfire. Like, you know, <laughs> I thought you might like the press, but this is ridiculous. Um, but I always remember going into that game because the Chronicle said, you know, you must go down in Newcastle United, centre forwards playing for England, etc. And what a story I got, of course, five nil and all five for, for you. Uh, but the funny thing is, when I walked in, a good mate of mine that I kept seeing on the on the circuit, Malcolm, was Brian Glanville, who wrote for the 
Times. Sunday. Yeah, he wrote yeah. for the Times. Didn't so he? Yes. He, he was sitting there and I walked in and he spotted me and he said, I, uh, hello, Gibbo. He said, I presume you're here because of Supermark. I said, yeah, that's right. He said, hey, quality club centre forward, he says, Supermark, but he's still got something to prove at international level. I said, oh, do you think so? He said, yes. I, I said, okay, fair enough. I'm just, and I sat right behind him in the press box, and 1-0, 2-0, 3-0, 4-0. And when it got to 5-0 with your fifth, I, I just tapped him on the shoulder and I said, hey, Brian, I said, I can see what you mean, mate. He's got a lot to flip and prove at this level. But... <laughs> But give the lad a chance, you know. <laughs> so that made my night as you, and that was just as you were walking off with the uh, with the sign flashing Supermac, which I remember ever so well. Yes, Supermac Five, Cypress Nail. Um, but I mean, before can we go back because you've mentioned uh, Revy, and then that, that was an explosive time for you. Ironically, it's when your goals come, but it was there was a lot of that that wasn't nice. But the England managers that you had um, been picked by, the first one, of course, Sir Alf Ramsey, the, the great legendary manager who had won the World Cup. The one everybody forgets about, Malcolm, which I'll ask you about, was Joe Mercer, because I think he was caretaker, wasn't he? And, and he had and he had Revy, of course. And you mentioned the, the total difference between Alf Ramsey and Revy. But a lot of people are fascinated by Alf Ramsey, A, because he won the World Cup, and B, because he was so different uh, to most managers. Um, and everybody thought he was this upper-crust guy with this marvellous uh, upper-crust accent, you know, to the man of bone, when really he was a, he was a little Cockney guy, the, the apples and pears guy, yes, accent-wise, that had taken, taken lessons. Um, yeah. Can you tell us about Alf and about um, you playing on Alf? And I think there's a fascinating story, at least that fascinated me, about the great Bobby Moore during oh, the yes, team draw. But uh, well, Alf Ramsey. Yeah, yeah. With with Alf, he was he was very welcoming, and uh, um, and he sort of pretty much allowed everybody to, just to get on with things in their own way. It, um, we didn't have to conform to his way in, at all. But what he wanted was, um, it was just to get the very best on the pitch out of each and every player. Um, and so he wanted them to be comfortable. Um, uh, and and, and, and of, uh, he, um, he was very instructive he'll be back at least i hope he'll be back i'll jump in and do the adverts while malcolm sorts his internet out um big shout out to uh spider vpn for all your internet security spider vpn are the boys to trust uh, just google spider vpn they come up at the top of the google search list uh thanks also to skipsandbins.com telephone 0800 2545 2523 email inquiries at skipsandbins.com website www.skipsandbins.com easy contract free and pay as you go waste collection thanks also to lng family funeral directors 
0191-389-7245 and to Garden of Healing Dispensaries, CBD Hemp and Cannabinoid Specialists, www.gohd.com. Thanks also to Arcot Interiors. Uh, they are based on Heaton Road in Newcastle. And uh, if you Google Arcot Interiors, they too come up at the top of the Google search list. They are the boys to trust with Kitchen Interiors. Thanks also to qtechshop.co.uk, the makers of pool tables and snooker tables in Moors and Newcastle, and the guys who run our website, nufcmatters.com. And thanks also to Kleekai, meet the new game over screen, drop into a Klee Run device near you, available on Apple Store, Google Play, and at kleerun.game. Thanks also to Jab Signature, you can find them at jabsignature.co.uk and to Media Arts for all their help on the video side of things. You can subscribe to the channel by hitting the Newcastle Legends logo in the bottom right-hand corner. And that's it. You can subscribe for free. We still do seven shows a week. If you hit the thumb up underneath the video, uh, you can like the video. That does us a big favour. Click share to share to your social media, uh, such as Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc., and drop into the comments box to speak to like-minded Newcastle fans or on some of our shows, pose a question to those on screen. We are also available as a podcast on iTunes and on Spotify and on other podcast providers. And uh, that is usually uploaded 24 hours after the show. If you would like to become a member of NUFC Matters and receive your goodie bag of a scarf, a pen, a cup and a membership card, uh, then you just need to put your phone over this QR code and it takes you straight to our website. Uh, you can become a member. You will become eligible then for the monthly draw. We've given away some great prizes over the last few uh, months, including tickets for matches and uh, a PlayStation 5. So uh, well worth getting yourself onto the website, anywfcmatters.com and getting your membership pack today. Those of you who subscribe to the channel, of course, John from QTech has kindly knocked up some car stickers. So if you subscribe by hitting the subscribe button, uh, then you just need to drop us an email uh, to nufcmatters.com and we will send out a car sticker for you, which is uh, a nice gesture by QTech. Thanks very much for doing that, John. And if you want to meet Malcolm uh, on a match day, we do the dog and parrot. We do pre-match uh, talk-ins in there where we look ahead to the game and then we're in post-match to look back at the game gone by. So it's free entry. Uh, they do good food and good beer in there. They've got a pool table and kids are welcome on match day. So well worth getting down to see Malcolm at the Dog and Parrot. Uh, NUFC fans, foodbank.co.uk is the website uh, which uh, takes you to the virtual match day bucket. And uh, in these times of need, um, it's becoming ever more uh, pressing for people to support the local food, uh, food bank if they can. So NUFC fans, foodbank.co.uk uh, is the website. You can make a virtual donation. You can put 20 pence in. You can put 20 pound in. You decide, but every penny goes to the food bank. So please uh, give generously. If you would like to see NUFC Matters live, uh, then we will be at the Marlborough Social Club on Saturday the 9th of April 
at midday and tickets for that event are £10 and you can get them from newcastlelegends.com. Come along and see me, Malcolm Gibbo and Holly Blades as we look at Newcastle United's uh, ups and downs, shall we say, but it will be a good day and I know there's plenty from the NUFC Matters community coming along. And if you are an NUFC Matters member, uh, of course, you get a pair of tickets for free for that event. Just make sure to go to nufcmatters.com and register for those tickets. Another great number nine, of course, is Alan Shearer and the 260 dinner is on the horizon. Uh, and if you want tickets for that particular event, then please go to 260dinner.co.uk. Uh, an evening where we are celebrating the Premier League and Newcastle United's greatest ever goal scorer for one night only and if you want to enter the raffle for the tickets to win or uh, a pair of tickets on nufc matters's table uh then simply go to nufcmatters.com our website and uh, there is a raffle um ongoing and you have a 99 to 1 chance of winning and it's a fiver to enter so please uh, get yourself onto the website and uh, bid for those tickets and uh, as you know we do help the food bank by uh, auctioning off a t-shirt each week on my social media account on my twitter account and uh, this week we are doing uh, this wonderful joe linton t-shirt and the big man has decided that uh, he will help us as well and he will sign the t-shirt for us so you just need to go to my twitter account uh, at steve wraith and uh, simply place your bid the highest bidder on a friday night is the person who wins the t-shirt so uh good luck with that and uh, thanks for your support as always so malcolm hasn't managed to make it back so i will just have a chat with you while he sorts his computer out john and yeah i mean look it's i've been listening off screen obviously to these stories but i mean that cyprus game and that five nil win and those five goals that malcolm scored john um it's it's an it's an amazing feat do you think it'll ever be passed we've had a few close calls haven't we and harry kane is certainly oh. the, the current incumbent of that shirt he could he could break our hearts not once but twice he could he could shatter alan shearer's record and he could shatter malcolm's in the drop of a hat and and he could shatter us in the next match we play newcastle united because we're at spurs as, as you well yeah. know i mean harry kane is the sort of guy steve that is um quite capable of matching our, or outgunning legends like our two, Supermac and Alan Shearer, because he is that good. And funny enough, recently was at San Marino and there was another match that he had recently. And I thought, did he score a hat-trick or he scored four? And I thought, this guy's going to take away Malcolm's record. And I was twitching like a fried egg. It was only interest I had in the match because England were just going to win by as many as they wanted to. Um, and for me, I was thrilled a bit that he didn't take Malcolm's record. He is gunning for Shearer's record. And Shearer has said that this guy is quite capable of, of almost smashing all my records, especially if he goes to Manchester City for the Premier League. Can you imagine if he went to Manchester City, the number of chances, opportunities they make? I mean, it, it shouldn't be allowed for a start if there's anything like fair play in the Premier League, and I don't think there is, by the way, but if there was, they should block his transfer to Manchester City because let him come to Newcastle. He can do everything at Newcastle. We don't bring mind him. Bring him here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. Now that's allowed. That's 
Well, listen, I want to Man City in Congo and Liverpool. By the way, there's a fellow on the right that I was talking to uh, before. It wasn't the dog's fault this time, Malcolm. No, bless it, the dog. Well, no, it bless him. Um, uh, he's he's actually passed away. So yeah, uh, exactly. The you didn't, the dog. You didn't, you didn't, no, he didn't stand it, on the wire, did you? Did you stand on the wire? Is that what? Is that what happened? Hmm? Did no, you we actually had a He's had a power yeah. cut. Okay, well, I'll let you guys get back to it. And uh, I've, I've done the okay. advert, Malcolm, so don't worry about it. <laughs> All right. Advert's well done. Yeah, we were saying at that time before being rudely interrupted, the pair of us, uh, Alfandri. And um, you'd said the difference, him to Revy, who was to eventually follow, uh, Alf Ramsey came to, to you, picked you for England. You said he picked you for the under-21s for the first time. Under-23s, John, at the time. Yeah, and then he picked you for the full team and gave you your debut against Wales, I presume. Yes. Um, we, we, Alf, Alf had sort of put Mick Shannon and I together as the forwards in the under-23s. And we played about half a dozen games together and, and and we had formed quite a good relationship you know i was very much the sort of one directional you know get on the end of everything that came in the box whereas mick he just sort of floated all over and um he he was a wonderful player i, I and i've never seen another like him um and and so we were elevated to the full side or, or the full squad together. And, um, and and very quickly we were put into the into the first team. Um, and and we both made our debut against um, against Wales, although Mick, I think, played in midfield. And oh and I, I played up front with Rodney Marsh. That would be interesting. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, I've been a Fulham supporter as a lad, and I and 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 I had seen Rodney Marsh because that's where he started. Sure. And I saw him sort of growing up. I saw him score some unbelievable goals. Um, his dribbling. He, um, the way he used to go past people, it wasn't pace. It was just sheer skill. Um, people would dive in and he'd just evade them with a little trick with a ball. And, um, and, and he was wonderful to watch. Um, but I, but I, I soon found that he was very frustrating to play with. Sure. Very. But anyway, we played against Wales. And out on the right wing was Mick Summerby. So Rodney and Mick Summerby were both Man City players. And so they sort of, they were playing sort of over there. And me, I'm on the other side. Um, and, and, and literally the ball just isn't getting over uh, to my side of the field. Rodney and, and Mick Summerby are sort of, uh, um, that they got it and, and won't let it go, but so I finished. I, I did get the ball one time in the first half, and I and and I went past a couple, got to the ball line, 
dead ball line and, and I pulled the ball back and Rodney um, volleyed it in. And, and I think that made it 1-0. And we went on to beat them 3-0. Three, three and, uh, and the following game, it was an absolute nightmare. It was a Wednesday night at Wembley and we played Northern Ireland and we just couldn't score. It was um, it, it was quite horrendous, um, and uh, so at the end of at the end of that game, uh, Alf told me that I wouldn't be playing on the Saturday against Scotland, but I'd be a sub. And so um, Rodney played, um, uh, and and there I was sat on the bench. And it got to about got to about fifteen minutes into the second half, and 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 Rodney he tried one of his little tricks and what have you, and um, and the ball was nicked off him. And Alf Ramsey sitting, he was just sitting two spots away from me, and have Rodney having lost the ball. Alf turned to Harold Shepherdson and he just said, get that effing clown off. And that was it. That was, that it. was the end of that. And so Harold Shepherdson out the out of the dugout he got. And then having having talked that way to Harold Shepherdson, he then turned to me two spots away and he said, get ready, get yourself warmed up. So off I went and I and I, I quickly got myself warmed up and and off came Rodney. We were 1-0 up. Alan Ball had scored the goal and we were playing in front of 128,000 Scotsmen in Hampden Park. Um, oh, I must tell you that when... When you when we arrived, the bus on the on the main road then pulls off, turns left, and there is a, a road that leads right up to the stadium and there's car parks, left and right, all car parks, and stood on the pavements of this sm small road, small side road that leads up to the main entrance of Hamden Park. It was lined both sides with guys in kilts. And as the bus turned the corner, up went the kilts and they started peeing all over us. And we were peed on all the way up to the stadium. <laughs> Unfortunately for them, the Scottish players didn't do it for an hour and a half. Well, absolutely, yes, they didn't. The crowd did, but... But, but they the team didn't and anyway so so i i've i've gone on and but alf ramsey he's caught before i as i got myself warmed up and harold shepherdson was signaling for rodney to come off um alf he, he's gone here and he said we've got the lead we must not lose it he said, your job out there is to just run into the corners, take the ball into the corners, 
waste as much time as you can. Don't go losing it. Run it into the corners and keep it there. And so that's what I was doing. I, and I sort of didn't even think about, you know, I, I had that tendency to want to get at goal, but I had to go the opposite way and go um, and go to the corners. And, um, and so I was doing as Alfred instructed uh, and, and the, uh, um, the, 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 the atmosphere, oh my word. And they started to boo us. And there's 128,000 Scotsmen, at least 127,000 of them were pissed. They had been on the booze all morning and lunchtime. And so when they booed, there was this stench of beer over the pitch. <laughs> and what I would have given just for a, a bit of fresh air. <laughs> and, and all we're smelling is stale beer. It's, um, funny, uh, it's funny you should say that, Malcolm, <laughs> because I was at the same game and I'd come up from Newcastle to Hamden and two things struck me as you've told me many times how much Alan Ball disliked the jocks and Alphamsey too in the way that the jocks all disliked the English. There was two mm -hmm. of the English just like the jocks, Alan Ball and Alphamsey. And of course it was Bolly that scored the goal. And I remember vividly when he scored the England goal, running when he was running back the centre circle, and you might recall this, he did the old Churchillian salute, you know, the two-fingered salute yes. to, the, to the fans, which absolutely yeah, Aye, yes, absolutely outraged them. 128,000. Oh, and of course, on the final whistle, when the final whistle went and it was 1 0 to England, he did exactly the same to the four corners of the ground. And I thought. Yes, but he did, he, he did one other thing as well. Oh, uh, yes, go on. He, know, he went yes. over. He went over to a, to the corner flag where the, That's right. where hung the, a, a, a small salt tire, and he just went and wiped his nose on it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, and, you talk and that about section it. of the crowd, it just went berserk. Absolutely. Red to a bull. I mean, I remember I came. I had to come out on the final whistle. I'd been doing a runner for the football pink, which we had in those days at the Cron. So I'd been doing a live runner and then I would do another report on the Monday. And I had to get out quick and get out to the railway station to catch a train mm -hmm. back to Newcastle. And I was coming out of the ground at the same time as 128,000 enraged jocks. Yes. Bad enough that they'd lost to England, but then Alan Ball had decided to literally rub their noses in it. And I was terrified to say anything in case I recognised an English accent. I just keep my mouth shut and made a beeline to get down onto that train and so relieved to, to get away on the Absolutely. train out of the place. But um, the thing is that Alf disliked the charming man that he appeared in the, 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 the beautifully educated voice, which was, in fact, lessons, I believe, Malcolm, that he yes. had, speech lessons. Yes, it was. Uh, um, but he disliked the jocks as well, didn't he? Hated them. He hated them with a passion, as did Alan Ball, 
Yeah. And and I tried to find out why neither would ever explain. Yeah. And yeah. so it 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 went it went down with them. And uh, I, I never did get to know. I, I would have loved to have known because it, the, two, the two of them, something had happened in the past where yeah. they were both there. I'm sure of that. It yeah. must have been a previous game. Um, the interesting but, thing, Malcolm, the interesting thing, if I recall correctly, and you will be able to uh, substantiate this, is what was interesting for me is that when you come on as an England sub, you were playing theoretically, although you were running into corners, you were playing in direct opposition to your Newcastle United skipper. Yes. Bob Monker was in that Scotland side, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yes. Um, and so uh, uh, um, Bob wasn't the quickest. No, um, no, that's absolutely true. Um, and, and I think it's fair to say that I actually was. Yes. <laughs> and... Uh, it would be thrilled to see you come on. You'd be thrilled. Oh, to see yeah, you come on. and and so I, I was literally running free into the corners, and uh, and the time that I wasted because they were having to um, all get over there to try and re retrieve possession um, uh, to get up the, back up the other end, um, and uh, yes, I had them sort of running all over the place. I would have much rather have been running at goal and. Yes. sticking the ball can, in the net. Can you tell us, because I didn't mention it to you, can you tell us quickly before we go on to other managers, can you tell us quickly the Ramsey situation with the legendary Bobby Moore yeah. when you were in a team talk one day? I remember you telling me that story. Yeah. Um, we, we, were, we were playing against Italy in a midweek match at Wembley. So we were in the hotel at um, in Hertfordshire, uh, the West Park Lodge, and um, and, and we would. It, there was like a um, there was like a ballroom there, and it had a little stage where I suppose a live band would have played for for, for those dancing, and and so it was a big room, but. There were just a lot of chairs put in front of the, the plinth um, where Alf sat behind a desk. And, and so he talked, he talked sort of downwards to the players um, who were slightly lower. And, and it was such a bright day outside that at the... At, 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 at one end, there were, there were big French doors, and, and and so the curtains were pulled across so that the sun wouldn't shine in. But there was just a little chink at the very top in the middle of the curtains, and there was a shaft of light coming in, going right into the middle of the players. Well, Alf... His team talk, his team talk took exactly two hours. It was never a, a second less than two hours. It was never a second more. It was always exactly two hours long. And he had a set pattern as to how he would explain exactly what the opposition 
were and how they went about their game. And so he would give us the team and then he would tell us all about the goalkeeper. And then he would go to the right back and he'd tell us all about the right back and then he'd tell us all about the left back, how he played, what his strengths were, what his weaknesses were, whether he was quick or he was slow or um, what, you know, what, how he preferred to go about the game. And it, it really was very in-depth and thorough. And, and then he would go on about the two centre-halves. And then it would be about each midfielder. And then it would be about the forwards. But then he would talk about, then he would come back, uh, um, having described the, the individual forwards. But then he would tell you exactly how the back four as a unit played. And then he would go on to how the midfield as a unit would play. And then how the forwards as, as, as the front unit how they went about their game. Um, and of course, in those days, there, there were some great players in the Italian side. Riva and Rivera oh, oh. occupied the centre of midfield. And Wonderful. They, yeah, they were just geniuses. Um, and, and so, and, and Alf never, never ever faltered. And he had no notes, no notes at all. And, he, and, and, and everything came from here. And boy, it was he was accurate always in his description of of who we were facing, um, and he made it so much easier for us um, to go out on the pitch. And and he was in the middle of of going through the defence and the and the midfield, you know, and it's all quite complicated. Um, and and he and he was just into the flow of it and all of a sudden from the very middle because uh, um, there was a and Alf just stopped in mid-sentence and he looked up and looked around and there in the middle of the pack of players, there was Bobby Moore. And Alf, he's looked at uh, Emlyn Hughes and he said, Emlyn, Emlyn, uh, would you mind giving Robert a nudge, please? And so Emlyn, he's gone, Moro, Moro, come on, wake up. And Moro, he's come to realise the situation where he was. And he said, um, he said, Alf, I really am so, so very sorry. He said, there's that shaft of sunlight coming in from that little hole. And he said, and it's been on my face. He said, and the, and the warmth of it, he said, and I've just drifted away. I really do apologize. And Alf looked at Moro and he said, Robert, I know. You have had to listen to all of this 107 times before. But would you please just mind fully listening for one more final time? Thank you. And we all sat there and thought, 
has he really just said what he said? And we're looking around. And sure enough, Morrow played that game and no never more. appeared again in an England side or England squad. And it was his last game. Now, whether he knew, he never said. But, Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Uh, uh, would you mind just one, one more time. last time? It <laughs> <laughs> doesn't matter. You've got 107 caps, Malcolm. It, there well, is always a last time. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And he made yeah. it 108. And uh, well done to him for that. Uh, he, oh. he broke uh, Bobby Charlton's record, didn't he? Of course. Yes. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, uh, and, but uh, what a player Moro was. Oh, and I, because he, because he wasn't the quickest. And he and Bob Moncur, they were, they were very similar, but Bobby was a lot more polished. Bobby Robson. Sorry, Bobby Moore. Bobby, Bobby Moore. Moore was a lot more polished than, than Monk was. Um, his passing was absolutely superlative. Um, uh, and short, long. He was so cool and calm under the greatest of pressure. And he'd still be telling others what to do, where to be, how to do it. Um, and yet he was under this immense pressure in the penalty area and just... Yeah, uh, getting it all calmly done, and he uh, was an absolute joy. And he was, uh, um, oh, uh, uh, <laughs> um, there, there, there was, there was one time when we had beaten West Germany in my in my first game under Revy. Um, there, there was, there was a thing, of course, with the older, more experienced players with regards to Germany um, because England had beaten them in 66 in the World Cup final and some of these players have been in that game both English and German um, and so when the game finished Alan Ball he he went out of our dressing room across the thing and into the German dressing room just walked in and said and said Right, guys, if you want tonight, we're all going to Le Valbon and you are welcome to join us. The champagne's on us. And he's walked back to our dressing room and he said, right, we're all off to Le Valbon. And, um, uh, uh, and so uh, he said, um, so I want to... Uh, 20 quid from you, 20 quid from you, 20 quid. And he went round taking 20 quid off everybody. And uh, um, and he wouldn't let the Germans buy a drink. And he just kept coming with these bottles of champagne. And then he came to us when we were at Le Valbon and he said, come on, I want another 20. And in the end, in the end we've beaten Germany. We've, we've got a lovely win bonus and appearance money. And we spent them spent it all. on Germans, thanks to Alan Ball. Yeah. Before, um, before we before we finish, Malcolm, uh, because we're running out of time, I can't finish without touching on Joe Mercer, bless him, who become only the caretaker manager for a couple of games, but yes. it included the famous time, did it not, 
of Ke Kevin Keegan getting rested aboard. It did. Now, um, Joe, bless him, he, he took the job out of his love for football, for England, um, but he was in the most horrendous pain with his back and he was very limited um, as to what he could do and he was on very heavy painkillers which somewhat dulled his senses um, and, uh, and, and, and so uh, uh, we, having had the thoroughness of Alf Ramsey um, in his team talks, in his preparation, um, and uh, and what have you, it it was quite different. We had to sort of prepare ourselves. We had to uh, do our own little team talk, as it were. And anyway, um, we had been we had been to um, I think firstly Bulgaria, then we went on to Russia. It was a three match end of season tour which yeah. england did every year and <laughs> and and they sort of used to go all around the world it just so happened that when i was involved with england at that time for three consecutive years we went on tours that were pretty much to communist countries when you were lucky lad oh dear me oh how how drab how drab it all was we, we there was one where um we had two communist countries but then we had italy oh and we got to italy oh it was absolutely wonderful to be there away from the it it, it was almost like being in prison and uh, um but anyway so we had been in bulgaria um and f for some reason, uh, um, uh, they used to really mess us about um, because usually the FA would charter um, a, a British Airways jet and that would take us and all the press guys around and it would take us to the first venue, it would go back to London. Then it would return to take us on to the next venue and then go back to London. And then it would return to take us on to the next one. But Russia said, no, no um, English plane is going to fly into, into Russia um, without us having checked it all out and so on and so forth. You have to fly by Bulgarian air. So we had to go... <laughs> With, in a Bulgarian plane. So Bulgar a Bulgarian plane took us from London to Bulgaria, Bulgaria then on to, uh, to Russia, and then from Russia we went to Czechoslovakia. Now, um, and so the last night that we spent, um, we'd had a game after the game. There was nothing to do whatsoever, so we had a game of cards, a few of us. Um, and Kevin Keegan was in it. I was in it. Colin Todd, Roy McFarland, and, um, uh, and one or two others. Um, and, and and Kevin, he, having 
play the game. He said, oh, I'm absolutely knackered. I've, I've got to go. And so he slept. Um, and it was only for it was only for about three hours because we had to we had to get up really early to get this flight. Um, and um, and so we all had about two or three hours sleep. Up we got onto the bus, off to the airport, um, uh, and in and in Moscow we had to get there really early because they just messed us about. They messed us about when we arrived, and we were we were in arrivals for for some six seven hours, you know, and they and they really did just uh, um, just make it very difficult. You remember Frank Nicklin? Yes, of, yes, of the Sun the newspaper. He, he was a great guy, Frank. He was a good uh, Sorry, not course. Frank. Um, Frank Clough. Frank Clough, uh, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Frank yeah, Nicklin was the yeah. editor, sports editor. Yes, Frank Clough. Well, Frank Clough, he had a mark on his passport, um, you know, a, a bit of ink or something like that. And so um, he was carted off by the airport police. And, and it disappeared now. And so we've all continued and got through. Which airport is this, Malcolm? In Moscow. In Moscow itself, right. In okay. Moscow, yeah. And so um, we, we've, we've all finally got through passport control, finally got through customs, and now we can head off towards where the, where the, the bus is. So get to the main entrance and exit. And as you go down, in Western airports, as you go down these avenues, it's all shops. Shops to the right, shops to the left, you know, all with all beautiful fare inside. What, what was there in Moscow? Cells. And, and they were it was just an area with bars in front. And, and they was and all of them that were their shops in in the west in Moscow they were cells and we're going along and all of a sudden there was Frank Clough in one of the cells <laughs> and we all stopped and we had a little chat with him through the bars you know what's up he says there's a little mark on my passport he said and they're messing me about anyway he, he didn't get out for and for about what's happened with months. what happened with Keegan? Ah, so anyway, we left Russia, and um, uh, and as as I said, that we'd only had two or three hours sleep, and and so uh, we were flying. Kevin literally got onto the plane, found his seat, and went bonk, and he slept. And there was. The, it was Bulgarian air hostesses on the flight, and um, and we've got to um, Czechoslovakia, uh, um, uh, and uh, uh, um, sorry, not Czechoslovakia, Yugoslavia. It was. It was Belgrade, wasn't it? Yes, it was Belgrade. I beg your yeah. pardon. It yes, Belgrade. it was Belgrade that we got to. And, and so Kevin, somebody woke him up and said, come on, we've got to get off because we'd landed. And so off we get, and then we get into the, uh, uh, into the um, airport concourse and 
we just stood waiting. There's the carousels not moving. And so we've got to wait and wait. And this this was sort of standard practice um, with, with these communist countries. And so Kevin, he's laid down on a um, on one of the carousels and just gone back to sleep. The next thing, um, because the other side of the carousels, um, it was like a, a wooden shack that you'd find in the forest. But there it was in the middle of this, of, of, of the arrivals in, in, in the airport. And it was the police hut um, uh, and, or the army even. They were, they were certainly armed, uh, well and truly armed. And all of a sudden, four guys, in, all in uniform with, um, with machine guns, come rushing out of the door, grab Kevin, and just whiz him back and put him in the, in the shack. And after about four or five minutes, we start hearing... And we think, right, well, so we're going to go over the carousels uh, and and bust our way into this shack, and and two policemen um, or army guys came out and they just pointed machine guns straight at us, and they just sort of shook their heads to say, "Don't don't cross the carousel," um, and so we're stopped, and. We've said to we've said to somebody, look, for heaven's sake, you're going to have to get the FA Wallers to get this mess sorted out, um, and we can still hear going on in this in this shack, and and cries from Kevin, um, and so we, we've got this horrendous situation where we want to go but we're facing machine guns um, and we're wanting somebody to get Kevin out, uh, somebody in authority. And in the end, we are told, you must leave this airport. You, it, it, it's no good you being here. So in the end, we, we, were, we got onto a bus. We were very reluctant, but they said, please, this is... Uh, um, an international incident now, um, so you must go. And we were driven to the hotel, and then, um, and then, having checked into the hotel, uh, we we then were told, "Come on out, get into the bus." And we finished up at the at the British Embassy, and the uh, um, and the people there, they explained to us what we need to do. To try to lessen this incident and what have you, and and so we're saying, look, we are not playing whilst Kevin Keegan is it is being held and beaten up. We're just not. They said, well, look, let's hold on. Let's just see what happens in the next day or two. So in the end. Late that night, Kevin is released, um, and 
and we we have been ready to to literally go and grab him out and you know risk being shot at and what have you but but the um the embassy people were saying you must not do that you really must not do that it's not going to help the situation and so kevin arrives black eye nose like that cut lips um splits over his eyebrows and what have you and he had been severely beaten up and and so we sat and we said there is no way that we are going to play this game if this is how our players are treated on arrival and what they and 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 the yugoslavians were saying that one of the air stewardesses had made a complaint to the police that she had been sexually interfered with by kevin keegan on the plane but the truth of the matter was that he had been fast asleep all the way absolutely fast asleep and it was just a complete nutter setup um uh, uh, and uh and so there was all this uh, um, coming and going between the embassy and, and, and the hotel. And, uh, and the consulate finally came to the hotel and said, the best thing you can do is get out there on the pitch on Wednesday night and go and beat them. And we were very reluctant to do it um, because of, of the horrendous what was uh, your score then uh we want we drew two each yeah yeah um, well would you believe it I, actually because at the time um i'm i was still yet to score uh, yeah. this is before the germany game um uh, and and i was through um uh, on goal i i come on as a sub and um i was through on goal and i and I smacked it for the top corner and somehow the keeper got his hand to it and knocked it over for a corner. Uh, and uh, much, was, much better to wait and break your duck against the world champions, Malcolm. Well, I, yes, it, that, that's the way to do it, isn't it? It's, yeah, do it, it is. If you're going to do it, do it in style. Terrific three years, mate, with England, 72 to 75. All were very proud to say with Newcastle United at yeah. the same time. Happy memories for me who happened to be <laughs> part there. Anybody that wants to look in the record book and wallow in it too. Lovely times. God bless. Yeah, for looking they were great there. times. Uh, Fantastic. Just thanks. to sit and listen to these stories. Brilliant stuff. Malcolm and John, thanks very much. Take care, lads. Take care. Thanks. Lovely to see you, fellas. Take All care. Right. Take care, Bye. everyone.